Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, and welcome to the latest episode of Biblical Escapes and Discussion. Now, it's a great pleasure to welcome back to the podcast Alex Nail to discuss his recent publication, The Great Wilderness. Good, uh, good afternoon, Alex. Hi, Ian. How's it going? Not bad. Yourself? You keeping well? Uh, yeah, not too bad. Got a got a kid running around the house now. He's uh, getting on for nine weeks, so a little less uh, sleep, but otherwise, yeah, doing doing very well. I'm liking the extra time at home, actually. I have to say. I can imagine, and I'm sure at some point in the future you'll like the additional hours of sleep as well. Um, but before we get to talking about your new book, it would be great if you could just give a brief introduction to your background in photography for anyone who, who's not not listened to you before. Yeah, so I'm a, a mountain photographer. That's self-titled. I guess I'm a landscape photographer, really, but I focus most of my efforts on uh, mountainous and, and wilderness areas. Um which you know allows allows me to get to places i think uh, with my hiking that most photographers aren't going to um backpacking with a camera has become more popular but that's uh, that's my thing um and since we last spoke i think that was uh, about my last book northwest and um yeah i've i've been doing much of the same in many ways uh, certainly spending a lot of time in scotland um working on this this project the great wilderness which i know we're going to discuss but um yeah i, I do work in this very um area oriented thorough way which i think is a little bit unusual for for landscape photographers um to spend quite so much time in specific areas and i and i do that when i do my international trips as well in the drakensberg and iceland i'm generally returning to the same areas and that's uh, that's the approach that i enjoy the most yeah so obviously we last talked about uh, your your previous book and now you've finally published the great wilderness um which was i think several years worth of work um up in a very specific area of of scotland so it'd be great if you could maybe just have a, a brief brief background as to as to what the the project was based upon and, and what what the intentions were yeah so actually after after i finished northwest that that i was shooting for sort of five or six years depending on when you, whether you, how you measure the start of the project and i thought oh what i really need now is a year off without the pressure of a project and i actually found that um a bit difficult actually because i realized that a lot <laughs> of my photographic purpose was coming from having this project yeah um so i was on the hunt for another project and i i actually thought well i've done northwest let's do west next so um i went down to kintail hiking and I had in the back of my mind, people had said, oh, well, it is harder in the rest of the highlands because you've got these continuous ridges and, you know, maybe fewer focal points. Um, so maybe I was already uh, in, in the wrong mindset. And I, I hiked in amazing weather in Kintail, but it was difficult. There were less opportunities. I, I photographed um, some some nice scenes, but it was pretty clear even from that short trip that I was going to yeah. have to work a lot harder, but also... Uh, that maybe it wasn't going to be quite as exciting. Um, so I, I, I was having a think about that, but then I had a workshop in the Great Wilderness um, and I suddenly realised that really I hadn't done that area full justice in my in my previous book. It was a chapter in that book and the chapter was also called The Great Wilderness. Yep. Um, but there were lots of scenes that I knew existed that I hadn't photographed well. And uh, when I ran a workshop there, that kind of tempted me into it and then in the following autumn i went back and and that's kind of how the project started yeah yeah it's uh, it's it's obviously been quite it's quite for anyone who's not got the book it's a very very extensive and thorough and i suppose exploration of of a very uh, difficult area to to approach and to access as well it's not it's not one that you come across in in many books um very often simply because of the challenges of getting in i know you obviously had many challenges yourself and spent a lot of time camping um out to to get the shots that you needed yeah so it's um i should probably say exactly where it is actually so th this area is um south of Ullapool and north of Torridon in the northwest highlands of Scotland. So it's a predominantly Torridonian sandstone area, which is why the mountains are these fairly standalone peaks compared to these more continuous ridges that I was mentioning earlier in the West Highlands yeah. and certainly the Cairngorms. Um, and it, it's called the Great Wilderness. It's not a wilderness at all for anybody who's frothing at the mouth <laughs> over the use of the term wilderness. Um, it's a, a deer forest, technically, even though there are no trees, so shooting estates. Um, and many people will know the mountains as, as the Fisherfield Mountains. The Letteru Estate um, is sort of on the south end of the area and actually owns a lot of the mountains. It's one of the biggest 
uh, areas, uh, biggest estates in Scotland. Uh, and it's actually the, the letter you accord was the basis of the Scottish right to roam. So there's an interesting history there for, for hill walkers. Um, but they are certainly some of the most remote mountains in Scotland. And again, people will, will debate that too, because they aren't quite the hardest to reach. Um, but certainly evasion uh, is a is the crowning remote mountain of, of the area. Um, it is a Monroe. It has 360 degree views. Um, so that's certainly a very well-known hill amongst Monroeists and uh, always appears in the sort of top 10 list of any Scottish mountains, that's for sure. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of remote peaks there, generally about 17 kilometers of hiking to get to some of the most remote hills. Yeah. Um, there's a, And there's a few routes in, but uh, they all... They all have their various challenges. Yeah. So I know you. I know you. You. You like to work on projects, and you'd obviously been to the area before. How How much of it was planned in terms of the locations you were going to go to? Because you obviously you've got a good idea of what the area is like. Some of the shots that you're maybe looking for. So how much is planned, and how much is spontaneous in terms of see what it's like when you actually get up there? I mean, I I suppose. Everything is planned initially and yep. then nothing is planned ultimately <laughs> because, uh, you know, things change the way yep. the weather happens, basically. Um, but I, I don't think you could um, approach a project like this without planning things. I mean, you, yep. you could, of course, just walk up the mountains and, and see if you got lucky, but there has to at least be some... Uh, correlating yeah. where, where you're applying <laughs> your effort to the weather forecast and so on and and certainly um you know my time up there is finite i did want to complete it within uh four years one second no problem. okay yeah so you do have to apply your efforts in some sort of sensible way because uh, my time up there is is finite and uh, I had to figure out, especially as the project was coming to its conclusion, where I needed to cover, because there was an aspect of being geographical in my approach, you know, achieving certain images from certain areas of, of that uh, Fisherfield wilderness. Um, yeah, so it, I, I was very specific with certain plans and especially with the winter trips where i really had to make the most of the fickle snow conditions yeah. uh but there's a huge amount that i just couldn't anticipate scenes that i didn't expect um and so there's a lot of responsive imagery in there yeah. which will uh, keep the landscape photographers happy out there because i think it's become increasingly fashionable <laughs> to say that uh you work in a purely responsive way and <laughs> emotionally connect to nature and all this kind of stuff which you know i can i can i can buy into to a degree but i think it's a not an amazing approach if you're trying to do mountain photography no i i tend to agree and yes well that's the dream that everyone asp maybe aspires to we want to be realistic about these things in terms of you're not just going to rock up into the middle of nowhere with no sort of a plan in mind because as you say it's you become totally unproductive in every exactly in, in, in every shape or sense yes you have to react to conditions but i think you've always got to go with some sort of a some sort of plan in mind otherwise you can just end up wandering and aimlessly not really knowing where you want to be what time you need to be at and you'll know a lot of the locations you're going to that there are specific times of the day specific times of the year that work best for those so i, su I suppose it's yeah. keeping an eye on, on what what the conditions are doing well and it also also helps to just make yourself ambitious actually yeah i mean i think if i were to just head into the mountains and and that's effectively what i did in kentail incidentally head into the mountains and see what was there um sure i can be productive but i might not be ambitious it's a lot easier to be ambitious when you're sat down at your computer looking at maps <laughs> uh, than it is when it's raining and cold out in the scottish highlands and so yeah. having goals is is pretty important too um yeah so i i think yeah you just have to approach these things with the degree of practicality and ambition if you're going to do anything that's that's extensive and thorough um, which is what i was trying to do yeah so obviously you've split it down into four chapters i think it is covering four different locations mm -hmm. was that always the kind of the aim at the start of the project or did that kind of evolve as you worked through the the, the images that you were taking i mean i 
I think if you're going to work in that geographical way, you you do want to break it down geographically. So that was pretty clear that I was going to do that from the start, particularly because I think that worked well with my previous book. And uh, I mean, photography books without chapters actually can feel a bit sprawling. Yep. Um, uh, you know, it, dep it does depend on the book, but, um, you know, because some have a really nice flow to them, like there's almost a continuous narrative. Yes. Um, but that's a different style of book. And I think if you want the the photographs to be viewed in this this way that, that is about place, then it makes sense to try to tie those places together into smaller areas. And and incidentally, that that largely appeals to me because of how I have enjoyed the books of the likes of um, Colin Pryor and Joe Cornish um, and so on in, in the past. Because when I was uh, a novice, um, I used to, pull those books off off the bookshelf and, and pour over them and think about where these photos were taken and how the landscape tied together. And I think it's a really interesting uh, thing that photographs can do is, is to paint a picture of a landscape from these sort of refined um, pictures. You know, you, you're not seeing everything that's behind you. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a good example of that is Joe's um, photographs in uh, his uh scotland's uh mountains book of ascent and he's got uh photos from the top of sulvan and from the top of stack poly and from uh skuran fiddler now skuran fiddler is is an example of a mountain where the view in the opposite direction is just rubbish i mean you've got this like gradual slope running down to the sea i say rubbish i mean <laughs> you're still looking out <laughs> it's, over the it's sea all relative it's, it's, all, the it's, all, it's all relative yes i suppose yeah yeah <laughs> but um certainly the the, the photographs in those that book um, did paint this picture of Ascent that was very specific and very magical to me. And I think being able to do that is is amazing if you can. I mean, the funny thing with producing a book, of course, is that you have no concept of how that might be actually perceived by the viewer because you know what it actually was like and there's no unknowing yeah. that. Um, yeah. So that's a slightly strange part of it. Um, it's also part of the reason why you lose all perspective at the end of a four-year project and wonder if you've actually produced anything good by the end of it. Yeah, I, I can imagine it, it's it's all it's all very challenging. But I, I suppose have, having the structure, I think, as you say, for this for this style of book really really works well. I also really like the inclusion of all your essays as well because it provides a total different context to your personal experience, which the viewer doesn't see from just experiencing the images as you say they, they see what the finished product is like they maybe don't, don't don't know what's going on behind or the experience that you've had to get there how important was it for you to include your, your essays in, in this book um i think very important even though i can't write very well which is a slight problem <laughs> yeah um yeah, very important um, for for a few reasons. One to get to give that context because I do think that's interesting. Particularly, yeah. I, I mean, there'll be some hill walkers and some photographers who go up lots of mountains who might read those stories and and think, well, yeah, that's all in a day's work, and it, and it probably is. But most of the people reading the book won't have that familiarity with the area or with the approach of backpacking, um, and and so I do think that that's an an interesting thing to include and. Again, when I've seen photography books that do include those stories, I I do read them and find that interesting myself. Um, but it's also to break up the book, um, yeah. to just introduce a bit of variety. Um, that's another thing that I think can be very important, depending on your approach to to that book. Um, yeah. Colin Pryor's Fragile book actually is is a really good example of that done well, because the concept of that book is basically egg and landscape yes which actually is very well executed but it could get hellishly boring if he had done that in a completely repetitive way egg landscape egg landscape indeed yeah. and what yeah and and so what he does is he'll do a double page spread of just the texture of an egg every now and again yeah. or he'll have three eggs and three photos or whatever it might be and you know whilst that isn't maybe as as coherent as just repeating the same thing again and again that variety really helps the the book to sing in my opinion um yeah, yeah I would, so, I, so that's, I would, that's the I other would, reason yeah i would agree i think i think the text really does nicely kind of break up the flow and 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 
it, it still it still retains its natural flow, but it, I think just adding a bit of context and at different pinch points really helps just mm-hmm. to 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 give to give understanding context. As you say, most photographer even most photographers looking at it will not be appreciative of the efforts, the conditions that you're working within. Um, they'll have no concept of what it is. Um, but equally so, I think for the the mount the hill walkers out there who are reading the book who have an understanding of what the conditions are going to be like for them to then be able to see the finished result of the pictures i think brings an entirely different context for them to to the work Mm -hmm. as opposed to and demonstrate yeah okay i know the sort of conditions that alex is is hiking through is having to stay in and yet he has still produced uh, some beautiful work Um, and i think it it gives it gives a good context in in many different ways to, to both parties Thanks. Um, but so, in in terms of the challenges, what what were some of what were some of the challenges? Because I know certainly having read many of the essays, quite some interesting stories. Any particular challenges that you you faced? I mean, to be honest, the the main challenge is is just taking on the project at the start. <laughs> I mean, it is it is pretty daunting, and and yeah. I had. Um, lots of trips that weren't particularly productive and and that does kind of create it its own pressures because of course i if you do plan something that creates expectations and that yeah. is the drawback with with planning if your expectations aren't met then that can start to become frustrating after a while particularly if you have a number of unsuccessful trips in a row yeah and you start to think why on earth am i am i really doing, doing this, this? Yeah. um yeah so i mean actually towards the end of the northwest project i delayed the project a year and had the most unbelievable luck in my last year um which meant you know this glorious finish almost and and this project was the opposite way around where i really really had to work in that last year just to get a few extra images yeah. um i was lucky that in in the december so last december i had the most fantastic winter trip um out there which did mean that I could publish the following year. I already at that point had enough images. Um, so that final year of photography was very much uh, dotting the I's and crossing the T's. Um, but it was n- nonetheless frustrating thinking that I might have this great run in like I did last time. Yeah. Um, only for rain and wind and low cloud. I mean, low cloud is an absolute killer. I mean, you can complain about the the rain and, and cold weather and all those things. Of course, that goes with the goes with the territory. Yeah. But it's low cloud that stops mountain photography. Um, I can take photographs in rain, but not if I can't see the mountains. Um, yeah. So yeah and and there were there were some specific challenges as well but um this also isn't serious high altitude mountaineering i mean they are pretty predictable challenges you're gonna get wet you're gonna get cold you're gonna get tired um and and things aren't quite gonna go to plan but i'm not sure that i mean to be honest that's one of the difficulties with writing these stories is you can start to get into that mindset where (laughs) you know i mean not going up a mountain because it's too windy actually isn't an interesting story yeah (laughs) um going up a mountain when it's too windy and having your tent destroyed now that's an interesting story but an experienced person generally won't do that so yeah well that that's and as you say were you ever tempted to to extend the the length of the project on or were you very much set on this was this was the deadline i was working to and assuming that i got the shots i needed then i was always going to be looking to publish because i know that you if you if you extend beyond one winter you're you're naturally going to want to take in the next winter which kind of puts another Mm -hmm. year on the project Um, was that ever something that crossed your mind um, it was because there are a couple of lines in the sand that I had for myself, which actually I ultimately ignored. Um, so there's one <laughs> image in particular on evasion where I was like, oh, this this image is going to work so well. I just have to pull out all the stops. Anyway, I went up evasion five more times and never got a chance at this image. And um, yeah, I ultimately had to, to, to ditch that idea. But I think the the project came to a point where it was finished and of course you can always make make it better um yeah. there's always you know there's routes that I didn't walk that I would have liked to have walked um and there are ideas that I had that I didn't quite deliver upon um but that that is the nature of it and there's also the realization that I don't know of any photographers I mean there may be photographers working privately doing the kind of thing that I'm doing but certainly 
I'm not aware of any of my peers who are trying to do this kind of thing, four-year project, yeah. photograph the same area, go again and again and again and again until you have what constitutes a completed body of work. I don't know anybody who's doing that currently. And there's a point where I have to say, well, hang on a second. Am I actually going to be doing this into the future? Because if I am, then I actually do need to bring an end to the project and start selling some books. Otherwise, um, these things just can't happen. Yeah. And the book, was that always the end goal in terms of having done Northwest for this project? Yeah, absolutely. Um, with my own personal photography, there is a degree of inevitability to the way I can see my own photography now. I know that if I work hard enough and hike far enough and wait long enough and apply enough effort that I will be presented with amazing conditions on the tops of mountains. Yep. And I know that I'm competent enough that I can produce successful images of those scenes. Um, so in some ways that's creatively dispiriting when there are many photographers who ultimately might go up a hill in Torridon and get an amazing photo of the view from the top in great lighting. Um, and so I, I've, I've long since lost enthusiasm for the sort of single image epic scene game because that has been done now. Um, but what hasn't been done is a complete storytelling of areas because that that's another level of difficulty yeah. um and commitment yeah yeah so um i kind of lost lost track of the question there but yeah i mean that's that's really what what drives me is is these larger projects um yeah i, I yeah. think it allows you to really embed yourself in a location whereas if if you're just if people are just growing up for the one-off shot you go up you take a shot you come back down you're either happy or not happy about it whereas yeah. actually you've got a real opportunity to kind of get to know the get to know the location and represent the location and i love the combination you've got within the book of some of the big vistas which have been beautifully paired up with something that's a bit more intimate on 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 the on the on the opposing page etc um, mm. was that very intentional or how how did you kind of approach the sequencing because i like the combination of of intimate and and wide wider vista yeah i mean i wouldn't quite use the term intimate because i i think of yes. david ward when when yeah. i hear that term and i and i wish i had more intimate scenes and i did certainly try but it's not my forte and i actually think scotland can be a very challenging place to to achieve that kind of image particularly in the mountains if you're on the summits and you know yeah. the nature of the project is you do commit a lot of time to being on the summits so that's yeah. hiking past a lot of lower level scenes and so you're not yeah. spending the time with the grasses in the lock and waiting <laughs> yeah, for nice yeah. light to get the reflections yeah. in the patterns <laughs> and all that business um but yeah pairing i mean i suppose what i did was try to pair an image that I thought was particularly impressive with the one that was slightly quieter is maybe a, yep. a better way of, uh, of, of saying it. And um, yeah, I'm kind of, kind of glad you've noticed that in a way. I mean, I actually did the fairly obvious thing in, in some respects, which is to put the most impressive image on the right-hand side page and the less impressive on, on the left, because at least when I read a book, I'm generally spending more time looking at the right-hand page. Um, so quite often I had this idea of, uh, using the the left hand image to to set off the right hand image, um, and in terms of the the layout, um, th there are some brilliant photographers working with layout and and book design who who do that to great success. Um, Sandra Bartoka is the yeah. person who really springs to mind in the landscape world for me. And I would recommend uh, her books, which maybe we'll get the chance for in, in at the end. Um, but, but she certainly uses layouts very dynamically, um, will position an image more or less anywhere on the page at any size that she thinks might work for what she's trying to say. Um, I think if I were to do that with my own work, it would feel a bit forced because of the very literal way that I approach photography and these these illustrative approaches um, to the landscape. I, I think that would look a little bit odd and you would start to notice the layout over the photographs, which yeah. to me would be counterproductive. Um, and it's not particularly important to me to say, oh, I really know how to do a clever book layout. Um, though I'm not sure that I could even if I <laughs> if I wanted to to do that because certainly I I take advice on that kind of thing I've got a, a good friend Jono who um has a design uh 
company up in Nottingham who who's helped me with some of the the layout, not not the sequencing, because uh, yep. that for me is is quite personal. Um, although I did I did meet up with Joe Cornish and take on board a few of uh, his views. Yeah, yeah. Um, how, his... how, how how did you tackle the sequencing? Because it's always there's always an interesting one when you're when you're sequencing your own work, and I'm always interested to hear how other people engage with other photographers that they know to take feedback. I know I've certainly spoken to people in the past who can't engage with other people because they don't take criticism particularly well, and not everyone does, even though it might not, even though it's often viewed as constructive criticism. So I'm always interested to hear how other how everyone approaches it because I think you can. When it's your own work, you OCD can take over and you could probably spend months and months and months and months just making ever so slight minor tweaks to the work. So interested to hear how you man how you how Yeah, you that's that's probably true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I suppose the first thing I did was just chuck a whole load of images from each chapter into a Lightroom folder. Um so that I knew roughly what I was working with. And yep. and to be honest, at the start, I was trying to get together about 20 images for each chapter. That that seemed like a good good starting point. Yep. Um, one of the things I do when I'm actually shooting, uh, because I have this experience with a previous book, is, is to try to shoot in a way that gives me flexibility afterwards in terms of image selection. Yep. So, uh, you know, a good example would be you, you camp on a mountain, you photograph a view, in the evening you get the most spectacular sunset and you think that that view is done but actually you still photograph it in the morning because that morning color palette might be more conducive to the sequencing than the evening yeah. one even if the evening version is more spectacular so th there were certainly some images that i ended up discarding entirely or making the first or last image in the book um because i didn't feel like i could sequence them well so um I, well, again, with Northwest, um, a lot of people thought that my favorite image in the book must be the first one, this pink sunrise from the top of Stack Poly. It wasn't my favorite image. It was was a favorite, um, but I just thought it was an impactful start. And more importantly, there was nothing that matched it. Yeah. Um, and, and similarly, in, in this book, um, looking out towards Pool U over Fionlock from the top of Evasion with this orange cloud swirling beneath me, the sunset in the distance is an unbelievably epic, but also colorful scene. I don't have anything to go with that. So yeah. the, the first step is, is actually just trying to figure out roughly what kind of images work together. Um, and then I took a very varied approach, to be honest, per per chapter, because in some cases I thought, well, I've got a good chunk of autumn images here, as is the case for the first chapter. So I kind of wanted to flow in a more seasonal way. And certainly there is a seasonal structure to every chapter, which puts yep. even more restrictions on it. Yeah. Um, but but there were certain cases uh, in, in the first chapter, there's two rainy images, one shot in the summer, uh, one shot in the autumn. And so those two images not only match in terms of weather, but they also make a seasonal transition. So there were certain, you know, cute, slightly cliched ideas like that that we use for the sequencing. Um, but more commonly, I was doing it based on color. Um, yeah. Uh, from one page to another and, and not worrying too much about abrupt changes um, as you turned the page, because to do that would then become a little bit too onerous and restrictive on on how I could actually order the images. Um, but even once I've gone through that whole process and you've got the book in your hand, you go, oh, there's too many full page spreads in a row. And, you know, so I, I don't think that that sequencing process ever really uh comes to a satisfactory conclusion i think ultimately it's a it's a process of compromise yeah and i think at some point as with as with all these things you need to draw a line under it because you could probably be sitting here now still sequencing but i think the sequence works really well particularly when you're working in in the smaller chapter sizes as you say you want to go by seasonal so there are restrictions you can't get the maybe a natural smooth uh, palette change that you'd maybe want to if you were doing it all from one season but I, I mm -hmm. think I think it works really well. I, I like the layout, the shapes of the, the 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 different way the pages are laid out. And there's for me, there's not too much variation between page layouts, which I've seen in other books in the past. Where I remember looking through one small book, and I think on about forty images, there was about nine or ten different layout variations, which you felt my my eyes were just going from one thing to another because every page you turned over, there was 
three images on a page, one image on a page, and it just varied up so much that there was no real flow. It just became so jarring. So actually, I think it, it works really nicely. Some of them feel double page spreads, but then equally so, just a nice, a nice, two nice large images that introduce that introduce one one to another, um, and and create a nice sequence. How were any of your favorite images that didn't make it at all? Because as you say, you you maybe have favorites that uh, have to be put in certain locations because of colors in particular, um, or that just don't really fit in in terms of how how you envisage the book to be sequenced by the end of the work. Uh, I mean, the answer to that is no, because there's no way I wouldn't include any of my absolute favourite images <laughs> yes, in the book. Yeah. There's, just, there's just no way. It's you know, th th those images are so hard to come by. I'd, I'd yeah. have to do that. But there are certainly images that I really like that I could have published, yep. um, that I didn't. But none that I particularly regret not publishing. Like they, yeah. they were all flawed in some way. I mean, to be honest, I'm a very self-critical person um, with my work, which can be quite destructive some at some time. So I have to uh, keep a, a lid on that to a certain degree. But um, yeah, I, I can always see room for improvement. And quite often the images I left out were for a good reason, um, yeah. because at least most of the time when I was capturing the images, because I had this idea of sequencing, I was always trying to shoot something that would go with it. And yeah. quite often, um, you, you're doing that the same evening or same morning. You know, the set, the la light setup is the same. You're in the same location yeah. for that chapter. And yeah. so you can actually take two photos on the same shoot even um, that go from one page to another. So um, I should flick through my book here and, and, and come up with an example. But there's certainly a few cases where where I've done that yeah. precisely so that I don't have to leave out a favourite image. That's it. And I suppose also knowing that the book is the end game, it must subconsciously even just suppose change your approach to what you're shooting because you know the sorts of shots that you're looking for you know what might be useful to in terms of helping with the sequencing so i suppose there's maybe some shots not necessarily included in the book that you you maybe otherwise would have if i suppose if you're shooting for yourself you may not have have have, have captured them or included them but because of because of the way that you're looking to present the work they add value to to the finished body yeah, absolutely. And yeah, we I didn't quite finish my point, I suppose, on, on whether working towards a book was was important because I, I lost my train of thought. But I mean, that is one of the huge benefits of project work. Um, I mean, you kind of touched on it there. Some of the images I probably wouldn't even have taken, or at least I, I would have taken them and never published them in any form whatsoever because they only have value as part of a bigger story yeah. and i think that that's one of the terrible things that social media has done to photography yeah. it's very hard to get people consuming images that are boring compared to their more epic counterparts absolutely um and yet in in the context of a book they they might be experienced in a different way emotionally you know these quieter scenes they they give you a calmer moment um there, there are some photographers who use white pages in their books <laughs> for this sort of pause this sense of peace that's the theory of it i personally hate that i think that's just a waste <laughs> of money um and you sort of people are paying for pages with no ink on them which makes no sense because it costs the same regardless of whether you print on it or not but um that's the logic of it and certainly the images themselves can do that so there there are definitely some images in that book as in the last book um that i never would have published and uh that they might even be in completely ordinary conditions yeah. uh, not so many in ordinary conditions but certainly some and they do have that that effect for me at least of a bit of breathing space yeah absolutely i, th I think uh, i think people are all so much focused on the big wow shots whereas in fact when you're looking at sequencing a body of work actually it can be something that can be very subtle that actually just links together a whole a whole body of work or introduces uh, the next images or the next set of images really well so it is nice to hear that uh, yes there are some shots in there that maybe you wouldn't have ordinarily published but actually as part of the body of work really add value to it um, and you see you obviously worked with other people or certainly got feedback from other people in terms of the sequencing how 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 does that how does that always go are you do you take on board i know everyone will say oh, well, i don't necessarily agree with that or i agree with that but i think it's always valuable to get someone else's opinion in terms of in terms of what your what your sequence is like or what your book structure is like yeah so i i mean 
I wanted to do that on two levels, actually. So if I'm asking photographers, I want to ask photographers who I think know more than me. Absolutely, um, yes. I'm, yeah. I'm not really interested in, you know, the, the views of the average photographer um, yeah. with all respect to everybody if there is an average photographer because if everybody just paid attention to what the average tells you yeah. then everybody would produce the same book theoretically so you don't want to moderate your your own personal views yeah. too much um and and then there's also the aspect that you could have photographers telling you things that you've actually already thought of yeah. and i kind of want to be talking to somebody who knows that i've thought of these things but actually they just don't agree with what you know well, my yeah, view and that's it. Uh, you know, so Joe, Joe Cornish was that person and and Tim Parkin to a degree as well. Um, you know, I'm very fortunate to have access to the, the great minds of, of landscape photography. Um, and yeah, they, they were great help there. Joe um, came up with uh, a few ideas. Um, I almost used all of his suggestions. There weren't a huge number, but yeah um there's a, a snow scene taken lockside there's two opposite facing snow scenes at, at fionlock um i actually have a sort of mirror image so one was looking one way along the lock and the other the other way and i paired them up and they matched right. perfectly um and joe took one look at that and basically just said it was trite and looked really naff to try <laughs> and make two images so similar yeah um so i switched out one of those at his suggestion i also introduced a couple of images which he so i i brought some of my rejects so i actually yep. met him um up in sheffield and i brought prints of the entire book yeah. and we shuffled them around and had a little play and i hadn't quite finished my sequencing at that point anyway but he did introduce a couple of images that i would have otherwise rejected um because he said they were his favorites and you know you don't ignore those opinions to be honest <laughs> yeah um, that, that's it. it's always always good to take on board what someone else sees yeah that's right um but then at the other level i actually want to know what a hill walker might think or what emily my my wife might think because yeah um that perspective is is useful you don't just want photographers to be looking at it from a, a photographic perspective because i don't want the book to be boring for somebody who's not a photography nerd yeah. so absolutely yeah. and how how did how did you how did you tackle the printing in terms of specification for the book um paper choices and, and that whole experience it's a it's a beautifully printed book um, with real nice lovely attention to detail covers the nice embossing um the, the title and etc how how did how did you ta tackle that challenge well the, i mean i a book for me is is two things it's a way of presenting a work in a portfolio in a way that you can't otherwise experience you know nobody's doing 100 image exhibitions anymore so nope. if you want to make somebody see a body of work a book is really the only way now because they're definitely not going to do it on a website um, so that's one thing that a book does. It just packages photographs and allows you to tell a story. But the other thing is it's a really nice physical item. Yeah. And I think that that can't be underplayed. It's like saying you eat with your eyes. And that's why, you know, Michelin starred restaurants spend ages with the presentation. Um, and I think it is it is similar with a book. The presentation is very important. And particularly if you if you need to charge a premium price, which I certainly did because I wanted to print in the UK, it's important for me to um, keep that tradition going and employ people who I like and and all those things. And of course, it's cheaper to go to Italy and even cheaper to go um, overseas to you know Asia, Southeast Asia. Yep. Um, but that wasn't something that, that really interested me. And so it had to be at this very premium end. Um, on, the, on the paper choice, I personally find fine art papers can get it in the way of the images a little bit. Again, it really depends on the style of photography you're talking about. Yeah. Um, but I think for the kind of work that, that I have, which is generally relatively high contrast, so there's a black and a white in every image, for example, I want the blacks to be fairly black. So I do want to be um, using a coated paper. Um, and then I don't, particularly want textures and so on and, and there are some beautiful papers that have been employed very well by other photographers but i'm not sure that my work is is quite right for that yep. um, particularly yep. as it would only put the price up a lot a <laughs> lot more um but i've gone for a 200 gsm uh, silk paper which i think is really a really nice paper it's it's plain and understated in in many ways um but it has it has a nice sheen nice contrast nice um color qualities uh and that extra bit of weight does give that 
feel of quality, which I think is is important. Um, but the cover, I mean, I fell asleep for a couple of years almost running through <laughs> cover designs in in my head because I love I love a cloth bound cover, um, but the cloth really matters to me. I've I've got a few um, cloth bound books by really brilliant photographers, which unfortunately have marked very easily, um, and that bothers me because the book just doesn't look very good once it's marked. In my opinion, you might as well uh, have a have a printed cover. Um, and so I actually tested a few different book cloths to see if I could find one that wouldn't mark easily. And actually, um, one of my favorites <laughs> actually didn't. So it's a premium uh, book cloth from a company called Ratchfords. It's actually yeah. made in Italy. But um, yeah, so that added a lot to the cost of the book. But it, you know, it's this nice green with these these speckles mm -hmm. on it. And importantly, they also had a, a swatch of other colors, which I could use for other books, should I make it a series, which is certainly my uh, my intent. Um, and then I had this idea initially of there's a map theme that runs through through the book um, of using contours in some way uh, on on the cover. But then I saw a couple of books that had done that before. And actually, I couldn't find a section of contours in Fisherfield <laughs> that seemed to work, you know, in a yeah. pretty way with the layout of the book. Um, and then I was actually just drawing for fun and drawing mountains. I, I used to do a lot of art, but particularly pen and ink uh, stuff. And I I drew Anchelic, um thinking maybe this could be an idea for a cover and i simplified it and turned it into a graphic and i thought oh that that debossed into the cover could look uh nice. really smart and yeah that's that's why i ended up with that cover design in the end um yeah. but again that was a cover design which i felt could work as a series so uh you may be seeing that same theme repeated yeah and talk, talking about maps because that's one one i did one thing i did want to i suppose what what really spurred the inclusion of the maps? And are you a big fan of Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit because they very much do remind me of Middle Earth in terms of in terms of maybe a bit of their style. So interested to know just uh, what uh, what kind of what influences in terms of the map design because I know I know you did them yourself or certainly were involved heavily in the design of them. Uh, I I mean when when I started photography um planning was was part of my approach from the outset actually yeah. um on on dartmoor and there wasn't google earth and any of the you know new new tools that we had and and so i started with maps and i've i've continued planning with maps now even though i supplement that with google earth and the yeah. photographer's ephemeris 3d which is an amazing piece of software because nice. it'll show you the shadows of the mountains on the ground which <laughs> is really fantastic and very useful actually um but maps have always been an important part of my process. And of course, they then become more important when you start heading out into the mountains. It's a safety thing, but then yeah. I'm a mountain leader and I'm guiding groups and so I'm showing them maps. And so it's always been part of my process and it, it builds into how I even understand the landscape. So I could pretty much draw the map of Fisherfield now um, from memory. Um, I could you know, I could draw the mountains from any angle in the sky almost because I have this complete 3D impression of the whole yeah. area. I've spent so much time there, but so much time looking at maps and looking at Google Earth and, and tying that all together. So so maps are absolutely how I relate to the landscape. And so I did want to include maps and maps that were better than the maps I produced for the last book, Um so I, I'd seen um, in in photo view books actually that they use maps obviously because it's location guidebooks, yes. um, and I'd actually asked the guy who who makes their maps, you know, how do you do this? Um, he'd mentioned the OS Terrain Fifty dataset, which I'd come across, but I thought, oh, this is probably too techy for me. But I downloaded some free mapping software and that dataset, and started playing with the vectors all these layers of rivers and lochs and mountains and you have to actually create your own contours from a a pixel based right. there's a sort of pixel based layer that's the brighter the pixel is the higher it is yeah you can sort of interpolate that and smooth it out so you don't quite have the resolution of of the os maps that especially not the one to twenty five thousand, but still a yep. pretty good resolution and so i thought using that combined with some of my own watercolor textures and um, you know, texturizing the, those graphics would could make a nice old 
feeling map that felt warm and friendly and, and, yep. and familiar, but incorporating some of the modern mapping techniques such as hypsometric tints, which is basically you change the color as you get higher. Yeah. You know, so uh, OS maps actually don't do that, but many of the Alpine maps do. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I, I started going down, down that line and then I wanted to find um, text and I've done calligraphy all my life, actually, albeit on and off. I maybe do one bit of calligraphy a year, to be honest, but I used <laughs> to do it a lot when I was younger. Um, so I decided I was going to write out all of the place names by hand. And if you know your calligraphy fonts, which I suspect nobody listening really does, there's only three feasible fonts, I would say, um, if you're using an oblique pen, a sort of flat edged pen uh one is round hand which is basically just normal italics um which looks a bit boring to be honest you're just writing your normal round lettering but with an oblique nib and okay it looks fancier than uh if you didn't have that nib but ultimately a little little boring uh and then there's black letter which has that feeling of age that's your like really old heavy geometric lettering that um you know were used on, on some of the earliest presses and then there's a font called Unseal, which is a sort of Celtic font, very historic, um, that's been used throughout the Western world since the beginning of time, basically, as long as there was writing anyway uh, in the Western world. Um, and that font was used by Tolkien for Lord of the Rings because it evokes those kind of uh, old, old sentiments because it was used in all of the religious texts and yeah. everything. Um almost but particularly in in the in celtic um areas and and to use any other uh hand than that would would have been offensive but i think if you take that font which is similar to the one used in lord of the rings not quite the same but certainly similar and then you put it with a map people are going to scream lord of the rings because <laughs> that is a pervasive cultural reference yeah um so unfortunately i've had lord of the rings comments um as compliments all of my yeah. photographic career because either i'm photographing scenes that look like lord of the rings to people or apparently i'm producing maps, maps. Do, but yeah. there you go well yeah it's, yeah the, the, ma the maps are really nice i and I, I love a good map and for a book of this nature i think again they they just work they work really well and and i think your color palette as well is complementary to to the images in in, in the book um any lessons that you would say you've learned from the first book to the second book and anything that you would learn to move forward? Because I suspect you've probably got at least another book or two or three or four in you probably over the next few years. Well, I mean, I, I hope so. L landscape photography is a difficult world. Everybody wants to do it and nobody yep. really wants to pay for it. So it's... Yep. <laughs> I mean, I, I will keep going with this as long as I can. I can sell my books, and I I would yep. love to to be continuing to to do this. Um, what have I learned from the last book? Well, the first thing is to start with with a project in mind, um, because there was a lot of wasted time, effectively, in Northwest. Although it wasn't, you know, wasted time because I still have the images and enjoy the process, and I'm learning as I go. But if you're talking about working in any way that makes financial sense, then you do need to be very purposeful with it. Yeah. Um, and uh, so certainly I, I planned from the start um, and, and worked in that way, although there was a degree to which you can just accumulate images initially. Right. But yeah. Yeah. Um, certainly planning was, it was a big part of it from the start. And so was the sequencing. So sequencing was something I didn't even consider with the, with the last book until I had the images. And then I was like, Oh God, how do I put these together? Yes. Um, whereas this time I could make sure that when I had an image that I really loved, I was shooting a, a pairing for it and so on so those are probably the two two main main differences yep. in in approach if you like uh what would i do differently for the next one well um i the the next book i i want to do torridon so i'm actually going to march back through the chapters of the last book i might if i do ascent and koyak include the far north and foynaven yep. and those mountains up there um but i'd like to do that because i've i've realized that you know one thing i'm doing that other people aren't prepared to do is throw this four years at a single project and really, really commit myself. And maybe there are other people doing it, like I said, but uh, I haven't seen them yet. So I'll I'll keep doing that whilst it sort of set, sets me apart, if you like. Um, 
but Tauridon is will be a different animal in that it's a, a lot better known landscape. And I think one thing I've learned from this project is that people really appreciate seeing fresh work. And so that yeah. does put an onus on me for the next project to not just trot up um, the, the most famous mountains in Torridon and photograph those extensively. I want to be a little bit more uh, ambitious and conscious with the locations I'm visiting lower down. So that's an idea that I will certainly take forward. Um, there are some practical things that I would still do differently. Is yeah. you wouldn't believe how much time I spent on that book. Honestly, it was it was ridiculous, um, and not all of it productive time, I have to say. Um, but I still made mistakes, and you know what? One small mistake was the the line spacing in the text. It's just a little bit too much, and that means that uh, on the the story chapters, there's not quite enough space between the photographs and. And, and the text and of course I printed this out on my printer and I checked it and I was happy with it and then suddenly I've got it in an actual physical book and I think why did I why yeah. did I do that um so yeah there, there are these tiny things that I would do differently um and, and I think a little bit more about whether I really want to go full page with some of the images that there's just a couple of points where i went full bleed when maybe i wished i hadn't yeah um, but but these are these these are the things that everyone learns from and and it's 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 such small points that you're you're looking it's like the 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 bones are there of the structure and everything like that and it's just as you say it's one image here or there or a minute change in the spacing but as you say i'm sure like so many other people you print things out you think yeah that takes that font size looks perfect spacing looks perfect and as you say it arrives and you think yeah it's yeah. A, a half a pixel too big or whatever whatever it yeah, is i mean there, there's certainly things that i could i could live with um <laughs> Yeah, and then actually on on the image editing side, um, I wanted the book to be real, incredibly realistic. Um, that was a very high priority for me. Um, I, I, those are the images that appealed to me the most. Those are the images that I consume from other people that that I admire. Yeah. Um, but there are some images which have exactly the right level of subtlety on my computer screen that, for whatever reason, when they're in that book, they're just a tiny bit too subtle. Um, and I won't tell you which images uh, they are. Maybe uh, anybody with the book can can pour through and, and hunt them down. But there are a few um, of, let's say, the less spectacular scenes where I've just thought, ah, it just needs this tiny bit more. And and so, you know, that's another area where, you know, book production becomes iterative because you start to understand your your work when it's consumed in, in a different format. Yeah. Um, but of course, a lot of those things, they they are beyond irrelevant to people who don't know your work inside out. I mean, even people who'd seen every single one of my images probably wouldn't recognize that difference. You know, I think it's it's on me to have that kind of obsession, but I'm not sure that it actually has any meaningful difference in the finished product. Yeah, I, I would say most most people, it's probably only the photographer themselves that notice the wee small details that actually they would think mm, yeah i wish i'd done this or wish i'd done that but for for most people um yeah it, it, it'll be meaning, meaningless to them in terms of what uh what it actually would be because they're none the wiser of what the alternative actually is i had a um i had a few books which had so just one of the sheets for whatever reason we're not we're not quite sure it had too much ink coming down so right. it may have been that some of the um sheets that should have been discarded because when the press is sort of getting up to speed if you like too much ink's coming down you're trying to settle the ink levels correctly they may have been included by mistake by the um by the binders or they may have been marked incorrectly at the print it, i mean those kind of things happen it's a very small number of books i've actually only found three and i've checked them all so far um <laughs> but uh yeah, there were three books and they have the ink density and it is too much. And I, I think most photographers would see that it's too much. But I gave one of these books to Emily and I asked her to check it and then I asked her to check it again and then to check it again. Is there anything you can see? Is there anything that looks wrong? to? You? And she could not. And to me, these images are just screaming at me. <laughs> They're like, you... Yeah. You know, you idiot! You, how could you edit these images so badly? Um, but she didn't didn't notice because ultimately she sees the image, she sees the scene. She doesn't see that there's too much black ink coming down. You know, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, 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 it's important to have perspective with these things. Yeah, that that that's it. And um, 
I know you obviously like uh, like the odd photo book as well. Have there been any good photo books that you've picked up recently, or anyone that you would like to see bring out a, a book, a new book of their work? I can probably guess a few names that might be mentioned along the second part of that. Question. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll, sp- I'll spend some time talking about Sandra Bartoka's books yeah. actually, um, both her own books. So I've got two of her books. Um, lease and uh, which i i don't know if that's still available lys anyway which i think is a scandinavian word for light um and uh, a more recent book uh rhythm of nature which is an absolutely amazing book in in every respect um it's uh the the cover is is printed so it's a book cloth but it's printed full color onto the cloth and foiled on the top with this lovely water pattern it's a brilliant design on on the cover it's quite a large book lots and lots of pages but the the concept is the the rhythm of nature unsurprisingly so how you know you see uh, a more emotional way of representing nature through more abstract imagery more impressionist painterly styles of, of photography completely different to my own work and then these very ambitious layouts um all on this uncoated paper which is perfect for that work um and it it just really shows how brilliant she is as as a book designer and also photographer at the same time so uh yeah that's that's one definitely to to check out in particular because i know she has copies left and to me it's kind of ridiculous i mean one of the the frustrating things about being a photographer who produces books and has some books is when you get the really good ones you're like well why has hasn't this sold why is it always this guy who's got this you know huge marketing channel you know that unfortunately marketing is is everything in in photography uh, whether we like it or not Uh, and sandra would be the first to admit she isn't very good at marketing but she is absolutely superb at making photography books so uh, do have a look at that and on a similar note, um, she helped with Theo Bosboom's book, um, Back to Iceland. Another great cover design, printed cover this time um, of a you know bit of bit of lava. Uh, similar format. Um, I think that's also uncoated paper, but equally brilliantly printed. And you can see Sandra's hand in some of the layout and text choices and yeah. so on because it's brilliantly done in that respect. But you also have the sort of prodigious photographic talent of, of Theo Bosboom, who is one of the most original and creative photographers out there. And if you want to talk about image pairing and sequencing, then then that book is amazing. There are some absolutely genius pairings yeah. uh, in that book. So if you're a lover of photography, books those those the two that that immediately spring to mind um and then the obvious ones that you are no doubt alluding to um joe cornish and david ward um in this world of self-publishing where quality is now available it is a crying shame that those guys have never produced an absolutely top quality book you know they've produced books that are outstanding in every other way yeah other than in their actual uh, production quality and and they would freely admit that themselves although i have to say um the quality of those books isn't actually a problem for me enjoying them yeah. <laughs> but i would certainly um pay even to have the the, the books that i already have reprinted it in, in the in- quality that is is now possible yeah. um and you know i've hiked with with joe a, a few times now and I, I chat to him a bit um he's uh recently closed down his gallery and he's had his hands full with that yeah uh but i will be continuing to apply pressure to get him <laughs> to uh, to produce another book he's mentioned a few ideas to me so uh, yeah. you know I, th- I think it's it's going to happen at some point and i think david's talked about doing one in the not yeah, too distant future I, I, I just, when i when i spoke to him a while back he was um, building up ideas for a third book so maybe we'll see that yeah. from them and as you say hopefully see something from joe because I, I think now as you say the ability the, the options available for self-publishing and the way the market's probably changed since uh, their their first books were published it's now a very different landscape no pun intended there um and and i think it'd be it'd be a, it'd be a crime if they if they didn't uh, bring out some new works will be I think a broader point is, you know, th- those two guys, D- David and, and Joe, I mean, David's a bit of a no-nonsense character. You know, he doesn't care for the, like, pretentious side <laughs> of things, I don't think. 
um joe is an incredibly thoughtful but very very modest person which is kind of annoying to be honest like i i don't like human people overly modest when they're obviously brilliant um but hey i mean that's that's who he is um i wish there was a way that you could say to those people think about your legacy you know which is a really weird thing to do whilst you're still alive because <laughs> you know i mean they're in their 60s but i mean they could live to 100 as, as yeah. far as i know but you know they're sort of at the peak of their powers still yeah. and you know i would i you know if, if i were them that would that would matter to me i mean even with these books i think about it in the terms of well you know if i walked away from photography if that had to happen at some point in the future could i be really proud of what i'd i've achieved for forever you know that's yes. why i think of these yeah. books i don't i don't think of them like oh let's try and make some money by selling some book to some punters um then they're not they're they're artworks first if you like they're you know pieces yeah. that i want to last a long time um but joe and david hadn't haven't yet had, had the opportunity to do that with their books i don't feel um yeah. and and they they should um, because I think that is another great thing about books, this this longevity idea. And we're finally at this stage where books can really stand the test of time because, you know, print resolutions, say, 30 years ago, weren't what they are now, whereas now they're almost at the limit of human vision. So, yeah, um, I, I, yeah. absolutely. What, what you can produce now is very changed from what you were producing yeah, 30, mm -hmm. 40 years ago. And, yeah, I think it'd be great to see new work come out from both those guys. Um, yeah particularly yeah just to see the the quality of work um on on print you know you know the quality of the images is there but it'd be great to see it come out in some really nice uh coffee table book yeah absolutely and then uh, uh, you know bro broader than that i would love to see other scottish photographers um producing bodies of work i just the, the difficulty is just finding that financial way of literally making it work so yeah. you know Ke kenny muir is a photographer who's photographed glenn Affric uh, yeah. extensively i'd love to see a small book from him on glenn Affric, but the problem is you're kind of at the point now with printing where you need to be able to sell a thousand copies to make it viable to make it worth your while yeah um 500 isn't really possible anymore maybe it is if you can make it sort of premium enough but you'd be talking very very small profit margins yeah um i suppose yeah, so yeah carry on yeah, so so there's there's a few guys like that, and and I think yeah that that would be amazing. I just don't know quite how that that happens. I've I've even thought about you know trying to do a sort of team up book with you know my favourite photographers in Scotland and and kind of create a compilation. But then I know the amount of stress and all the logistics with posting books, and uh, you know if the reality is if you're splitting that five ways, it also doesn't make sense. So then you kind of need yeah. a publisher to step in and. It's it's a it is a tricky market for sure. It's it's a very tricky market, uh, and yeah, I think a lot of it depends on what you're looking at. It's obviously your livelihood, so you're coming at it from a very different approach than someone who's maybe looking at it just to to get their to get a body of work out there. But then at the same time, yeah. if you're coming out there just to get a body of work out there, do you have the same uh, do you have the same appeal and gravitas as someone who's doing it day in day out like like yourself? So it, it's a challenging market, as we we're saying beforehand. I think. I've certainly felt as though there's been a slowdown in the number of people self-publishing since yeah, 2020, yeah. 2021, when all of a sudden we're into lockdown and it was the it was the in thing to do. Now it feels as though we've returned to a bit more of a palatable um, level yeah. of books coming out. But uh, but it's still challenging. There's the exposure to so much work and it's it's finding something that offers something a wee bit different as opposed to just a collection of uh, pretty shots, shall we say, is uh, very flippant um, and actually tell something yeah. there's a bit of narrative to it. Yeah, and I, I, I do think that's important. I mean, I, I don't know quite how to view the publication of other books because obviously people are free to do what they want yeah. and people are free to buy the books that they want. But as somebody who has some understanding of what goes into photography books and, you know, I, I feel like I have a sense of where effort has been applied and where it hasn't, I, I think it is a bit of a pity that some of the market is taken up by names as opposed to people making really fantastic photography books you know Sa sandra's an example she's somebody who makes fantastic photography books but isn't a big enough name that she's just you know they they should be like flying off the shelves sort of thing but um 
and that is a problem with the oversaturation of the market is that actually to my mind there aren't that many people producing really good books because quite often when i go to see other photographers at their homes i have a look at the books that they've bought and you know i've i've seen a lot of books that have been very well publicized whether it's through youtube or social media um you know by people who are very good at good at marketing and also very good at photography i should i should say yeah. but they haven't they just haven't produced an amazing book and and that to me is such such a pity um not that i'm necessarily the person to to make that assessment but i made that assessment for myself and yeah. i can only think that there are some people who've bought a lot of books that kind of aren't that good and have never seen what a photography book can be like sandra's yeah. uh, but anyway um Indeed. rant on forever i guess but that's it so the next next project has the project started or is it still due to kick off or is it yeah so it has started um because when i decided to do fisherfield i thought well no it's no harm starting a bit of torridon as well but yes. i have been publishing those images uh, as i've gone because i can't just endlessly hold back it, yeah. uh, work because i've i've got to feel like i'm excuse me feel like i'm relevant and current yeah um but i will be pursuing that more specifically now um i wouldn't absolutely swear that the next book will be torridon yeah. but it's quite likely there'll be some people who criticize me for that i think um because it's repeating what i've done before and it's like why don't you go somewhere new yeah um and the answer to that is simply that i feel like it it should be done and that i can do it well and that i'll really enjoy it so uh, yeah, good, it probably good, will be the next book. Yeah, good, is re good reason as any for, for doing it. That's the thing at the end of the day. So Yeah, absolutely. Well, Alex, it's been an absolute pleasure as always chatting to you. Really, really nice book for anyone who's not got it. Definitely uh, thoroughly recommend it, um, particularly if you like Lord of the Ring maps. Um, but we'll say no more about that at all. But no, the work the work is beautiful. Really, really impressive body of work. Um, and really glad to have it on the bookshelf, Alex. So thank you very much for your time. Thanks very much, Ewan. Thanks for the chat. It's been quite, quite enjoyable nattering about books, actually. So thank you. Cheers.